Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David continues to look at the people who got up close with Jesus with a look at the story of the woman accused of adultery. Let's listen. Today, we have a, a skit that's going to introduce a person that got up close to Jesus when he was part of a mob, a part of a crowd all carrying stones ready to bring what they perceived as justice. Let's get to know this person. It was total chaos. The word of a woman who had sinned spread like wildfire. Several local Pharisees formed a group gathering stones as they went, stones to deliver what the law demanded, a price to be paid for sin, her sin. I was on the outside of the group, a mob actually, and wondered what to do. My friends yelled for me to follow them as they started to chase the woman. I found a stone thrust in my hand, and I reluctantly followed, not sure what to do. Finally, she was cornered and fell to the ground in front of a man. I recognized the man. Jesus, they called him, a teacher. Stones started to be raised, stones of justice. I held back, still holding my stone, but not raising it yet. Then the Pharisees addressed Jesus, challenging him to decide the fate of the woman. I think they were trying to trick him, but he ignored them at first. He actually bent down and started drawing something in the dirt. The Pharisees and the mob instantly grew more vocal, continuing to pepper him with questions. Jesus finally answered, an answer that I will never forget. Upon hearing it, we all froze, even the teachers of the law. Then the sound started, the thump, thump, thump of the released stones hitting the ground. Mine included. The mob disbanded, and as I started to walk away, I looked back and heard Jesus ask the woman, Who is left to condemn you? And then, neither do I condemn you, and go and sin no more. I stopped and looked at the stone. I realized my stone was not one of justice, but one of regret, and not easily tossed away. I felt its weight. It was the weight of my sin. Sin never acknowledged, always hidden away. I stared at the stone, then back at Jesus. Those without sin cast the first stone. I've been fooling myself, thinking I was clean, that my own stone would never be revealed until then. I carried my stone from that day forward, wondering if I could truly cast it away, if I could be forgiven as powerfully as she was. I started following Jesus' ministry, albeit from a distance, watching the crowds, witnessing the miracles, listening to his words, and finally bearing witness to his trial and death. I, I heard his words of forgiveness, redemption, and even then on the cross. A few days later, rumors started 
something about Jesus coming back to life. That the grave that they had prepared for him was torn open. How could that be, I wondered. Those tombs were covered by a stone, massive in size and weight. I then realized that my stone had grown in its own way, massive in size and weight as well. And I asked myself, could this Jesus, the one who gave that woman such freedom through forgiveness, the one who overcame death itself, roll my stone away? In that moment, I took the stone I had held for so long and lifted it up, showing him I was done carrying this burden because he had finally released it. I relished the sound of my stone hitting the ground where it belonged for good. Well, I recently got done reading the Lord of the Rings trilogy to my daughter, Zoe, as she's turned 11. Now, you may not be familiar with that story, so let me refresh you. But that's a story where there's a ring, and there's a ring that represents all power. And yet, whoever holds that ring, even though they're all powerful, that power is going to corrupt them. No one can handle, can wield that much power. Uh, there was a man who held on to that ring for a very long time, and it it slowly caused him to lose his humanity. His name was Gollum. Uh, we got a picture in case you've never seen the movies, but Gollum's the one on the left here where you can see he used to be a man, but he's really not a man any longer. He's lost himself because of clinging to that power. Now, these other two people, Frodo and Sam, they have the ring now and they are trying to get rid of it. They're trying to destroy it. And Gollum is trying to get it back. And so uh, around this scene is when Gollum attacks them. He attacks them. He tries to kill them so that he's able to get that ring, that power that he so desires. Uh, they fend off the attack. And they then, after capturing him, have to decide, okay, what do we do with this strange creature who attacked us and is seeking us harm? Sam, the one in the middle, says, well, we should execute him. I mean, this, this person, this thing, attacked us first. This thing, this golem, deserves death. Rodo then responds, and I want to show you the, the response that comes straight from the book. Here's what he says. Deserves death? I dare say he does. Many that live deserve death, and some die that deserve life. Can you give that to them? Then be not too eager to deal out death in the name of justice, fearing for your own safety. Even the wise cannot see all ends. So today, I'm sure you picked up the theme of what we're discussing, but we are talking about justice and mercy. When is one appropriate over the other? Frodo's statement to Sam reminds us to not be too quick to assume that we know the answer to that question. Now, if you were with us last week, uh, the story that we're about to read comes right after where we left off last week. So last week, the Pharisees were actively looking for an opportunity to arrest Jesus. And then they saw Jesus preaching in the temple courts, and so they sent the guards after him. But the guards, you might remember, did not arrest Jesus. They were so convinced by Jesus' words that they said, no, 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 we are not going to arrest him. 
So the Pharisees are needing to come up with a plan B. They need to come up with another way of how they can get to Jesus. And they think to themselves, okay, if we can convince the crowd, if we can convince the crowd to turn against Jesus, then maybe that will be our opportunity. They are then surprised that Jesus shows up the very next day in the very same spot, teaching in the temple courts. Our story picks up John chapter 8, verse 2. At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Okay, so what is Jesus doing here? Because he's obviously putting himself in harm's way, right? He knows that just the day before, they tried to arrest him, and he knows what will come once they do arrest him. And yet I think what Jesus is doing here is he's showing his opponents that he is not afraid, that they may want to arrest him, they may even threaten to kill him, but he will come and teach all the same. Because Jesus knows that he is the words of life that the people desperately need to hear. Uh, Jesus knows that his words will lead to salvation. And so he goes and he preaches. He wakes up at dawn and travels to that very same spot that all the chaos happened the day before. And he begins to preach. The Pharisees, they need this other way to get to Jesus. They need to convince the crowd that Jesus is not the Savior that they think he is. And so in the middle of Jesus' teaching in the temple courts, the Pharisees come and they emerge to cause quite a scene. Here's where the scripture goes next. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Okay, so remember, in this Lenten season, we are studying stories of people whose lives were changed when they came up close to Jesus. So today, we are studying the story of this woman. And this woman is not given a name in the story. She is only referred to by the act that she committed. She is the woman who committed adultery. Uh, imagine for a moment being known only by your worst mistake. Imagine that you, at uh, the next dinner party that you're at among all of your coworkers, are introduced not by your name, but, oh, that's the person who harbors resentment and jealousy over all of his other coworkers. How would it feel? to be exposed so publicly for something that you had done. Yes, the Pharisees, in essence, they're removing her identity and placing her sin under a spotlight, saying this is now her identity. She is the woman who committed adultery. This woman is now up close to Jesus, but not by choice. If you remember back to last week, Nicodemus went up close to Jesus intentionally. He snuck out in the middle of the night because he wanted to learn from Jesus. That's not the case here. This woman is dragged right to Jesus' feet. Sometimes in life, I think we're like Nicodemus. We're searching for something. We're searching for 
a truth out there and we go and search for Jesus. And other times, the circumstances of life almost drag us right to the presence of God. And that is how we get up close. Well, that's what happened with this woman. She is dragged to Jesus and she is followed by a crowd that's all carrying stones and rocks ready for bloodshed. Now, I read this story and I think to myself, surely the Pharisees see the irony here of demanding murder right next to the temple. I mean, the temple is the place of worship. Uh, The temple is God's most holy place. It would be like doing something, uh, such a heinous act, right here in the church. I think they know that what they're doing is, is not right. And so that's why they quote from Scripture. They, they quote the ancient law of Moses in an attempt to justify themselves. Now, their actual quote is coming from the book of Leviticus. That's the third book in our Bibles, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. It says, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Okay, so my question then is, where's the man? I, I mean, the law clearly commands that both man and woman be brought forth for their actions. But the Pharisees are choosing not to follow the very law that they are quoting. It's because they're doing all of this, not because they care about the law, but because they're trying to trap Jesus. John, the person who wrote this gospel, says as much in the very next verse. He says they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Okay, so this, this is the trap. Let me lay this out for you. If Jesus refuses to condemn the woman, then the crowd is going to wonder, well, does he really believe in the law of Moses? I mean, if he refuses to condemn the woman and ignore the command from Leviticus, then the Jewish faithful might see him as a fraud, not the real Messiah, and they may turn on him. Or imagine, for example, that Jesus agrees and says, you're right, this woman must die. What would it look like for the Prince of Peace, the person who'd been preaching nonviolence, God's love, all of a sudden to be seen as a hypocrite. He will be untrustworthy if he spills blood on the temple floors. So I imagine that the whole crowd is just waiting to hear Jesus' answer with bated breath. Remember, some of them came early, right at dawn, simply to hear from Jesus' teachings. And others of them came with stones in their hands, ready to hurl them at this woman. And the Pharisees know that anything he says, either way he goes, they've got him. They've got Jesus. And so Jesus chooses to say nothing at all. Here's the next verse. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Okay, what is Jesus up to here? Uh, We're not told. We're not told what is going on in Jesus' mind. Personally, I think this must be a classic misdirection. I know when my kids are misbehaving and when they get really angry, I can choose to match that intensity or I can choose to distract them with something. 
And then usually if I distract them, well, then they can calm themselves down a little bit. Uh, what we're seeing here is the intensity of the crowd is sky high. And I wonder if Jesus is, is redirecting them a little bit. To help you imagine this scene, I want to show you this painting. This painting that was done in 1720. So this is a painting that was done by the Italian painter Sebastiano Ricci. And in this painting, there's a couple of things that I want you to notice from this scene. The first, look at the very back, up at the top. Those are children. They are children watching from a distance. Because I think the painter wanted to show us that a stoning like this was a public spectacle that even children would be exposed to. And then bring your vision down from the children to the woman and notice her arms are actually tied. They are bound. She's in the most vulnerable of positions. And then slightly to the left of this woman is Jesus. And Jesus is kneeled to the ground and he's pointing. He's pointing at something that he had just written in the dirt. And then the last thing I'll point out is this man in orange on the right side is grabbing the clothing of the man in blue, pulling him away from whatever Jesus has written. It's almost like he's saying, don't pay attention to Jesus. We're here to trap him. We're not here to listen to him. Don't, don't listen to his words. Let's get on with it. So what did Jesus write on the ground? Theories abound. One that I particularly like is that Jesus wrote a scripture that the Pharisees would have been really familiar with. It's a scripture that comes from Jeremiah. It says, those who turn away from you, meaning from God, will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Okay, we don't know if he for sure wrote that. Other theories say that he wrote the names of every person who is holding a stone in that crowd alongside their chief sin. Use your imagination to think, what was it that Jesus was doing in that moment as he has stooped down and is writing on the ground? The Pharisees want nothing of this. They try to grab control of this situation again, and so they continue to pester him with questions. The next verse says, When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone in. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Gosh, this is genius, isn't it? I mean, in this response, he is forcing the would-be condemners to look inside their own hearts, to look in their lives instead of at her. And in essence, Jesus is saying, don't look at the one that you're ready to throw a stone at. Instead, Look at the one who's holding the stone. Now, the ancient Mosaic law said that the actual accuser, the, the witness to whatever it is that is being accused, is the first one who's supposed to pick up that stone and throw it. Uh, we see that in Deuteronomy. That says the hands of the witnesses must be the first in putting that person to death, and then the hands of all the people. So essentially, Jesus is saying, okay, accusers, look at your own hands. Are, are they clean? Or is there something in you that someone might want to throw a stone at? Yes, none of us are without sin. 
all of us are in need of God's grace. We should not be the ones picking up the stones. There's only one judge in the world, and it is not us. It is Jesus. And Jesus is showing us what sort of fair and compassionate and loving judge he truly is. What will the crowd think of what Jesus has just said? Next verse says, At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. So the crowd disperses, and I don't want you to miss this detail, this really fascinating little nugget in there that it's the older ones who leave first before anybody else. Why do you think that is? Well, my guess is because they have the most life experience to realize the truth of Jesus' words, that none of us are perfect, that all of us rely on God's grace. Life, the longer you live it, has a way of humbling us, doesn't it? In this story, what we're seeing, what we're studying, is how this unnamed woman, who is known only by her worst moment, how her life is changed when she came up close to Jesus. Well, for starters, her life is saved, literally saved. Jesus saved her physical life from a crowd that was demanding it. But it's not just her physical life that was changed that day. I think spiritually, she was saved as well. And I think that because of how this story ends. These last verses say this. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sure, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Yes, this story displays an equal balance of justice and mercy. I do not condemn you. Jesus shows the woman mercy. Go and sin no more. Jesus shows the woman justice. I believe that this woman's life was changed by hearing those words from Jesus. Mercy and justice must always work hand in hand in a grace-filled partnership. We need both. I mean, think about how unfair the world would be if everyone was given only mercy. Think about how cruel the world would be if everyone was given only justice. As we end our time today, let's ask the hard question. What rock are you carrying around, ready to hurl? What person do you think is in need of judgment that's not you, that is outside of yourself? The opening skit was so perfect because it showed a man who showed up with his stone ready to hurl it and you know that he would feel justified in doing so. He was following the law. But by the end of the skit, he was forced to look inside his own heart instead. By the end of the skit, he saw that the stone he'd been carrying so long was acting more like a burden in his own heart, weighing him down by placing him in that position of judge. And so he dropped it. I think it is time for all of us to drop our stones and turn to Jesus for both justice and mercy. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, 
please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.